0: On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I tell you about my 48 hours in Europe, I speak about the power of the expectation effect, and I explain why sometimes it's beneficial to play mind tricks on yourself. what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 136 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. This podcast is a place where I tell the story of growing a business, of growing as a person and of taking on some fairly unusual challenges, sometimes on my own and sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. The only thing that's guaranteed with this podcast is that every time you press play, you're going to learn something new. And yet again, this is becoming common, isn't it? I need to begin with an apology. It is of course Sunday right now. If you're listening to this just after it came out, this typically comes out on a Friday morning. It's Sunday night. I have been abroad, which means that there was just no feasible way for me to be able to squeeze this in. Um, The first half of this week was busy in the office. And although I knew that it was going to be very difficult to find the time to record it in the second half of the week, um, the time just didn't exist in the first half of the week to get this done because I was trying to squeeze an entire week's worth of patter work into a few days before I headed off on a little 48 hour trip to Europe, which is where I've been. Um, So on Thursday, Thursday, yep, had to think there. (laughs) Me and Chloe went to uh, Germany and then from Germany on the Friday, we went to Switzerland, saw Ed Sheeran on the Friday night in Zurich and then got a train back to Germany on the Saturday. I'm having to think here. It's been a long week, um, and then landed back at Stansted last night at around 8 p.m. Um, and then, to be honest, today at half to recharge my social batteries because it's been a busy few weeks. And half just because I think that that Europe trip left me incredibly sleep deprived. I have literally done nothing. Um, I did maybe two hours worth of work this afternoon, but I was in bed until 1 p.m. Not even sleeping, I woke up at nine, because um, next door very helpfully had a domestic, it sounds like, um, in the new house here in Rothwell where the walls aren't all that thick. Um, so that woke me up. Couldn't really get back to sleep after that, but stayed in bed until like 1 p.m. Got up, went to Audi, did my weekly food shop, did a little bit of work, and then this evening, or this afternoon, this evening again, I've just really not done anything. Um, just trying to to get some energy back. But Europe was fun. Um, we went in Germany to a little town city. I'm not sure what it is called Baden, Baden or Baden, Baden. I think it's Baden, Baden, which I didn't even know existed until we went. Um, and the reason we flew there rather than directly to Zurich is just, it was much cheaper. Um, Chloe did a wicked job of planning that whole trip, making it very cost effective and also in a way kind of making it more exciting. Right. Um, flying from Stansted to Zurich and then back to Stansted allows you to see one city flying via Germany and then getting a free hour, fairly nice train across the border allows you to see two countries. Um, And on those trains, I got a little bit of work done as well. So that was nice. Um, Germany was very uneventful. Um, It is the first time I've ever been abroad in a place that isn't like a tourist town or a tourist city Um, And so I'll be honest, I speak zero other languages, even nearly, right? I started Duolingo again on French recently. um, And I can say like a couple of words in French, like maybe 10 words, couldn't string together a sentence, but I don't know any German at all, period, like none at all, right? And we were in an area of Germany that is just like a normal town or city. Like there's some shops and there is a a little shopping center and some restaurants and nobody there, understandably, I don't say this to discredit them, like they're in their own country doing their own thing, nothing to do with me, but nobody there spoke English. And so that was interesting and a challenge because everything from um, ordering food to trying to work out how to use the bus ticket machine at the train station, sorry, the the airport rather, um, it was all just a bit confusing and a bit difficult, but it made it more interesting, right? It makes me really admire people who like what my brother did a few years ago actually when he went to travel asia and had to really live in um you know towns where people spoke their own language and having to kind of work around that i've never had to do that and i'm not suggesting that some random town in germany is like an exotic trip that oh i'm so cultured now i've been to a non tourist area i just mean that it opened my eyes to um A, how incredible it is that people in these tourist hotspots around the world can speak so many languages and they can do it so fluently, Uh, but B also that I should probably, before I travel abroad next time, learn at least a few words, right? How to say hello and thank you and please and do you speak English and also understand what the word for no is so that when they say no, I can be like, okay, thanks. Um, But yeah, first night in Germany was cool went to a little all-you-can-eat buffet place, which was decent. Uh, Then went to a hotel, which was literally on the platform of the train station in Baden-Baden-Baden-Baden, I don't know how you say it, that place, right? Um, And I did not get any sleep, but I can tell you the exact movements down to the minute of all of the trains in Germany, because it seems like overnight Every single passenger and freight train in the whole country of Germany must have whizzed through that platform and it was so incredibly loud. But the room was very hot as well, so we couldn't have the window shut. So the window was open and all the trains were whizzing past literally on the platform where the hotel was. And so after a a previous night of basically no sleep before we left for Germany, or before I left for Germany, I don't know how Chloe slept, I'm sure she was all right. Um, The Thursday, I also got fuck all sleep. Um, and then we were up again at like half past six in the morning on the Friday to get the train to Zurich, uh, jumped on the train, European trains are always very uh, impressive, aren't they? They're relatively on time. Although I think this one was a few minutes late, they're clean, they're efficient, they have good staff. Um, they are just good trains. Uh, so jumped on there, not realizing that there is a like federal law mandate in germany that if you're on a train you must wear a face mask and it has to be like a specific type of face mask as well um so we got on the train and we're like oh shit that's not ideal but the man came along and asked for the tickets a few minutes into the journey and then said that we could go to the like catering cart to buy some masks and so that we did Um, and that was all good but it was weird being back somewhere where there are public transport Uh, mandates on face coverings. Cause of course here in the UK, we haven't had that for um, what are we on? Like 15, 16 months, like a long time. Right. I actually can't remember specifically the last time I wore a face mask other than when I've been in like hospital, when I had the bloody infected elbow and stuff. And so, yeah, it was, it was weird, but it was good. We got to Zurich. (laughs) There is nothing to do in Zurich. I mean, I'm willing to be corrected. However, in the area that we happened to be in, um, it was basically just like Canary Wharf, right? There was like nothing but offices and apartment blocks and roads. And so we didn't really do anything. However, something that I've always said I wanted to do if I went to Switzerland is get a big mac meal and you're probably thinking why would you go all the way to switzerland to get a big mac meal well there is a thing called the big mac index and it is a kind of crude way of looking at the cost of living in each country and determining what is the most expensive country to live in based on the price of a big mac because mcdonald's prices all of their products locally in each currency sorry in each country relative to the cost of living so that comparatively across the board, it's almost like the same proportion of earnings relative to the cost of living that you would pay in, say, Krakow or Zurich, right? Very cheap in Krakow, very expensive in Zurich. So that's what I did. I got a Big Mac meal, Uh, normal Big Mac, as you'd get here in the UK, medium fries, again, as you'd get here in the UK, and like a really, really small coffee, like their regular coffee in Switzerland and McDonald's is tiny. And the same was actually the same when I went the next morning to Dunkin' Donuts. But anyway, I won't get into coffee sizes. Uh, and it cost £13 for that meal. So there we go. I have officially had the most expensive Big Mac on the planet. And I will, be not, I will not be doing that again in a rush. But I can say I've done it now. So that's good. Uh, went to the hotel, had a nap. And then uh, went to see Ed Sheeran in Zurich, which was cool. Probably one of the more surreal gigs of my life because, uh, I mean, I've seen Ed, what, like six times in the last 53 weeks I worked out last night. And I think I've seen him 11 times now over the last few years. And people are like, why do you keep going? Doesn't it get boring? And it's like, eh, kind of, but it's always a different set list. And it's a different excuse to go to a, a new city and all these different things. It's not just for the gig, right? Um, but whilst many of the Ed gigs get kind of repetitive and boring and forgetful in some ways because they're all the same. I think this Zurich gig will always stay in my mind because it was just so bizarre, right? We were in this, this big football stadium in the center of Zurich, surrounded by, I believe, around 50,000 people who had all paid like a hundred quid each to come and see Ed Sheeran, right? One of the biggest artists on the planet. they had all paid a lot of money. They were all there. And yet so few people knew any of the words to any of his songs. So like, if you draw a contrast between uh, the Ed Sheeran gig that we went to in Wembley a few months back where there was, I think, 80,000 people and basically everybody knew every word to every song. So when you scream along at the top of your voice, um, all of these words to the songs, it kind of blends into a pool of kind of anonymity, right? No, nobody knows who's singing what or from where because everybody's doing it. So it just blends into this big noise. That was very much not the case in Zurich Um, and at least in the area where we were stood within earshot what we could hear or see nobody knew any words but that wasn't going to stop us from (laughs) screaming along every word so I think that we almost turned into the potentially quite annoying but definitely novel English tourists in the area Um, and a few people seemed to find it quite amusing that we knew every word in English to the songs that They, you know, they knew a couple of choruses here and there, but it was just an unusual, um, an unusual gig, we'll call it that. Um, But something on reflection that I have to say is I don't think I was very present on that trip. And that's not because it wasn't fun. It's not because it wasn't well-organized. Chloe did a really good job of, I mean, actually I said to Chloe on the day when we were walking around Zurich, I'm like, if you were to just disappear right now and I happened not to have my phone, it would be like I've been kidnapped, right? Because, Chloe planned every single detail of that trip from like getting to the airport, to the flight, to the movements on the bus and then the train and then the hotel and this and that. And I had no idea where I was right to the point where it was actually really disorientating, crossing over the border from uh, Switzerland back to Germany on the Saturday Um, and having to realize like I'm in another country. And it was just, yeah, unusual. But I think I wasn't present because things are incredibly busy with the business at this time of year as they are every year. And there were just a few work things I needed to take care of. Fortunately, I could because I had my laptop and the internet was okay. Um, But I don't really remember much from that trip. It was kind of like in and out, saw the gig, did some work, but it was nice to get away. It was was always nice to have a change of scenery, right? Um, It just makes me, I think, more conscious of better planning Kind of capacity and workload around future trips to make sure that even if I need to jump on something right, there are a couple of reactive things I had to do workwise on that trip. that's fine, but the stuff that I knew was in the pipeline, um almost allowing myself to just be like, Fuck it, these two days here, these four days here, like their annual leave, I will make sure that everything's taken care of before the fact, I'll make sure that people know I'm not available and kind of go from there. Now I don't see that on the horizon this year because I don't think I'm going anywhere other than Dublin which will be after basically all work stops for the year. Um, But it's just something to consider because I kind of got back home last night um, and sat there. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? That was literally like a blur of, you know, drive, flight, bus, train, train, bus, flight, drive, home. And I'm like, I really don't know what just happened. So yeah, interesting. Um, On the topic of Dublin... Uh, although I took a few days off tracking all of my habits for this trip away because I knew that they just weren't going to get done. It's just not the right environment for it. Uh, I'm still very much on this 100 days to Dublin hype that I believe I spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Um, The idea that uh, when I began tracking these habits in this new spreadsheet, it was almost exactly 100 days until I go away to Dublin. Uh, And as I've been saying all year, because I did it last year, that, that kind of end point of the year Going to Dublin, planning next year, reviewing this year, kind of zooming out, looking at life in, in broader strokes. That is all um, kind of the end point. I, this is the word I'm looking for, I guess. Um, and so, doing the best I can in all areas of life for the 100 days leading up to that to make sure that I actually squeeze the most out of this year that I possibly can and to make sure that uh, I'm leaving as little as possible on the table when I know that this deadline is approaching. Um, it's cool. Uh, Metro kindly included me in a piece on this idea that I've been speaking about a lot recently that you should treat September like January. Now I won't go into it too much because a couple of weeks ago, you can go back to the episode before Natasha to Taryn and listen to it where I spoke about it in some detail, but essentially the idea that January as a time of year for a bunch of reasons is a really terrible time to build new habits, to try and be a new person, to stick to things, to have discipline. Whereas September, because not a lot happens between September and December, because it's a bit colder outside, because it gets darker earlier, because of all these things that I spoke about, um, September, I believe, is a much better time of year. And it doesn't need to be the first of September, right? If you're listening to this now, or if you're listening to this in a few weeks, and it's like the 4th of October, that's still fine. I just mean that beginning your new year's resolutions early or reviewing your goals or moving towards the things that you've set yourself for this year now, rather than delaying it for another 80, another 90 days until the new year. And then giving up six days in because it's difficult. That's a really good idea, I think. Um, And so it was cool for the Metro to include me in that piece. Um, I didn't even know it went live, to be honest. I saw it on the Monday, like three days after it went live. Um, which is funny because it's not every day that you get coverage in a national newspaper and don't notice. Uh, So that was cool. Um, But yeah, it is very much work mode now between now and Dublin. uh, The business is going to be incredibly busy between now and the end of Christmas, as it always is, probably more so this year actually. Uh, I touched on this a few weeks ago, but we've actually had a really good few weeks and months when it comes to onboarding and closing new clients. We're working with some exciting brands. Um, but there's just a lot to do. I don't have that many social plans between now and the end of the year. A couple of gigs here and there, a couple of trips here and there, uh, obviously recording with Ali Abdul in London next month, pull more up in the Northeast the month after. So that'll be a couple more trips. But really uh, my main focus is for the rest of this year. Uh, and I'm not sure if this is going to make the podcast a bit less exciting, but my, my focuses are essentially going to be um, just dialing everything in, right? Being as as focused and as disciplined as i can be on the things that matter the things that move the needle forward just to give myself that better foundation for next year because inevitably when it gets to the end of the year i will as we all do want more of myself right i want next year to be bigger and better and more exciting and uh, more business growth and better fitness and health and all this stuff and it's just a really bad idea to let the ball slip between now and then if I want next year to be the springboard to kind of level up in life again. So that's what I'm focusing on right now. Um, And then I think the only other thing to talk about in this very uh, low energy, because I'm very tired, I apologise, this very low energy in this very random episode is the book that I've been listening to recently, which is uh, James Smith's new book, which I believe is called How to Be Confident. Really, really interesting book on the topic of confidence, hence the name. Uh, But there are two things that have really stuck with me so far. Um, A lot of what's covered in the book is, I don't want to say conventional wisdom, because that's not fair. Like it's an incredibly well-researched book, but when you listen to enough podcasts with people like James or Modern Wisdom or The Diary of a CEO or any of these places where these kind of thought leaders converge, you kind of know half the stuff that's included in most books these days, right? As in, (laughs) as bad as it sounds, most kind of self-improvement, self-help books, sorry, self-help books are essentially the same collection of like 30 ideas and you pick 10 and you kind of elaborate on them and add some anecdotes yourself. But there were two things in James's book so far, haven't finished it yet, that really stood out. Um, and the first is where he speaks about the work of somebody called David, sorry, David Robson, uh, who I first came across on Modern Wisdom a few months back. David has a book called The Expectation Effect. And I think that this is really important, right? Because It sounds like it shouldn't work. This sounds like it can't possibly be true. However, your expectations of any situation, what you believe is going to happen next, whether you believe that you will achieve something, whether you expect an outcome to go one way or another, actually has more of a bearing on your reality, more of a bearing on the eventual outcome than almost any other factor right? And he pulls out, David, this is now in David Robson's book, uh, he pulls out examples such as the idea that people who believe that aging brings wisdom live longer, right? So, you know, when you're getting old, do you see that as, oh, my mobility slipping and this and that, or do you see it as actually I am the best version of myself I have yet been because I am now wise and I am kind of at the top of where I've so far been in life. If you believe the latter, it is shown in research that you literally live longer. It literally extends your life. If you expect to live longer, you live longer. Um, Another example he uses, the idea that things like lucky socks and charms and these kind of routines that athletes follow, when you zoom out and when you look at whether or not these completely nonsense, unscientific lucky charms actually improve the performance of an athlete because they expect it to, it does. And then the third example, right, taking a placebo. Um, they, uh, I think I spoke about this with Peter Watson on this podcast at some point, the idea that placebo is actually the, the strongest, the most successful drug on the planet. Um, and there's all sorts of interesting research on that. However, the idea that taking a placebo, even if you know it is a placebo, can improve your health. The idea that what you expect to happen, that the expectations that you carry with you in any situation so long as you actually believe them to be true, will have a huge, unbelievable, and I say unbelievable in the literal sense, because like I say, it sounds like it shouldn't work, an unbelievable bearing on whether something happens or not, or whether you achieve the thing or not. And I think the reason that's so interesting is because so much of what holds us back when it comes to our minds and our mindsets is fairly difficult to control, right? But when it comes to expectations, particularly if you can be quite analytical with a thought process. If you can sit down with a bit of paper and almost write out the, the four or five most likely outcomes from a situation and then explain to yourself, okay, this negative one probably won't happen for X. This negative one probably won't happen for Y. If you can zero in on the best possible outcome in a situation, having hypothesized four or five of them, and then make yourself actually believe that that is your expectation. Almost trick your own mind into thinking that, yeah, actually, of the options that could come out of this situation, it is this one. Because I have sat and discerned between them, it is this one here, the good one, that I expect to happen. The research shows that it will be more likely to happen. Now, to be clear, and I shit on this book constantly, and yeah, I've never read it, but I just hear everybody say terrible things about it, this secret, right? Where it's like, oh, just wish into the universe that something will happen and it will happen. It's not this, right? It's not saying that, oh, if you just want something to happen, it will happen. If you, oh, if you just want that girlfriend, if you just want that boyfriend, yeah, it will happen. If you want that sports car, oh, it will come to you. It's not that. It's just saying that, you know, there are deep layers of the kind of non-conscious mind that are making constant assessments, making constant decisions, guiding mindsets, guiding points of view. And your expectations are incredibly powerful. Um, David Robson is somebody I'd love to have on the podcast, so this is almost, if nothing else, a mental note to myself that this week I'm going to reach out to him and see if he'll come on, because I'd love to learn more about that topic. The Expectation Effect is the name of the book, and it is incredibly interesting. Uh, But then going back to James Smith's book, the second interesting idea that I've pulled out of that book so far, and he literally says in the book, he's like, this line that you're about to hear that I'm about to read, makes the price you pay for the book worth it. And it's kind of true, right? Because it's what? It's a 10-pound book, a 20-pound book. I don't know. Um, and he has this idea here that he took from somebody, can't remember who. So it'll be another one of my many unattributed quotes on this podcast. He says, Losing is not the same as being defeated. And it took me a minute to take that in. I was I was on a walk actually about 3 p.m. near the office one day as I was listening to this audiobook. Losing is not the same as being defeated. And I had to pause and write it down in my notes. And I kind of jotted down some notes about what that kind of meant, uh, which I eventually tweeted a few hours later. But then I got back to the office and I read it again. Losing is not the same as being defeated. And it's really interesting because this, again, in some ways, although James's book isn't about playing mind tricks on yourself, is another mind trick, right? Because the, the, the finish line, the, the, the success criteria of almost any situation in life is actually just made up in your head, right? Whether you feel like you have lost or won in a situation, you can almost pick, right? How do you know whether you've lost or won when it comes to, um, I don't know, losing weight? Well, it's what you decide that goal is in the first place and so on. So if you accept that losing is something that's malleable anyway, but then realize that if you lose in a situation, by your own definition, that doesn't mean you're defeated, right? When you lose, you can begin again when you're defeated, you can't. And so I just think that's a really powerful idea that if this week, if next week, if right now, even you're going for a situation that hurts, that isn't ideal, that you'd rather not being, that you feel like you've missed out on something or someone or being somewhere, or a plan hasn't gone how you'd rather it had gone. And you feel like you've lost. That's actually fine. Because Life is incredibly long in some ways, at least. And if you've lost, but you've decided that you're not defeated. If you said, okay, it didn't work out this time. It hasn't gone to plan, but actually in the face of that idea, I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to try again. I'm just going to stand up and put one foot in front of the other. And I will not be defeated by this loss. If you can have that mindset in almost any situation, once that hurt passes once that pain clears, once the kind of fog of how you might be feeling in that situation has gone, you're free to just begin again. And you can lose and lose and lose and lose and lose. But so long as you're not defeated, so long as you don't give up, so long as you keep moving forward, those losses mean nothing if you eventually win. And so I thought that was really interesting. Um I think that is all I have for this week. Probably got an echoey episode, if nothing else. Uh the the acoustics in this room Here in Rothwell aren't amazing, Um, so I probably need to sort that at some point. Also, if you're looking for this episode on YouTube, it's not there. I haven't videoed it. I've just hopped on the microphone very quickly to give you a little update. There will be no guest next week, I don't think, mainly because I haven't booked any guests for weeks. Um, I've just been busy. I've been a little bit lax on that front. Um, Obviously, there are still the Ali Abdul and the Paul Moore episodes coming up. A couple of other people I'm speaking to in my inbox, and from that note to myself, I'll be talking to David Robson and hopefully getting him on. But next week i don't think there'll be a guest so i'll probably get set up in the office on thursday and do a proper two camera episode which we all enjoy but we'll look at that next week until then thank you as always for listening sorry again that it's late and i'll see you back here this time next week the episode number 137 of life and lessons see you then